Welcome to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. For more information, go to goodshepherdnewyork.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. Today's teaching text comes from Luke 13, verses 31 through 35. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until I say to you, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Now, before I offer my reflection on this text, I'd like to invite us to make this moment sacred by opening our hearts to the possibility that God could take this story and link it to our story in a powerful way. And it really doesn't matter whether you bring into this moment lots of faith or lots of doubt. You simply come honestly as you are paying attention. And let's just take a quiet moment to be fully present right now. God, open us to you, to this story, to our neighbor, to our world, and to ourselves. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin by wishing all the mothers in our community a happy Mother's Day. Today is a day that we celebrate the beauty and the importance of the mothering experience. And our gospel text is a provocative one. We have Jesus looking over the city of Jerusalem, and he uses a feminine metaphor of himself as he cries out in lament. And this is what Jesus says. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill and stone, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you were not willing. Now, my original intention with this sermon was to draw out the feminine metaphor here for Christ. I wanted to invite us to see Mother's Day on Mother's Day to behold Christ who mothers us. This Jesus, who our sacred text tells us, is the image of the invisible God, right? This Jesus who said himself in relationship to God, that if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father, for I and the Father are one, right? This Jesus who reveals God to us is depicting himself here as a fierce, confrontational, longing, and protective mother. And I wanted to draw out how it's impossible to know God apart from our particular experiences and of identity and of roles in this life, and especially in our world. Right? We 
are made, the creation poem tells us after all, in God's image. And so if we will know God, we have to be willing to probe the breadth of human experience. But I think very quickly we find two things when we try to do that. Number one, we find that our experience alone is inadequate, right? We need to know each other in order to know God. If I only know God in my social location and with my experience, like I may know God authentically, but my knowledge is severely limited. And second, not only is my experience only inadequate, uh, or sorry, my experience alone is inadequate, but over the course of human history, it's often the powerful who get to normalize uh, their social location from which we understand God. And over time, really that social location has been predominantly male. Now, I'm male, and there's nothing wrong with the male experience of God as far as it goes. But it is limited, and it becomes especially poisonous and damaging when we pretend like it's not. And we have a big problem on our hands, I think, when a limited social location becomes the dominant or the normal lens through which we process God. Now, today, I stand before you and I know God as a white, straight, uh, cisgendered, Christian, American man who is a son, a brother, a husband, uh, a father, a pastor, and maybe most importantly, a New Yorker. Um, but that's my lens, right? That's my filter. And you too, you have your filter and you know and experience God through it. Right? There's no other way. And this isn't dangerous. This isn't diminishing. I mean, this is beautiful. You know, some throw their hands in the air at the thought of this and they say, well, how can we ever know God if we can't know God entirely and objectively on our own? But this isn't biblical and it's really not a Christian perspective, right? It's more influenced by a post-enlightenment view that sees pure objective knowledge as possible and it privileges the individual over the group. Right? But the wisdom of our sacred text and the wisdom of our own tradition points us in a very different direction. It, it invites us to see this whole process of knowing God in a different way. Right? The image of a person on their own, reading, studying, praying, journaling, listening to podcasts, searching and trying to figure out who God is. Right? This is not the pattern of our story. It's not the pattern of our tradition. Our story and tradition teaches us to expect to find, to know, and to experience God in the other. Right? Jesus consistently points us to this mystery. It was this Jesus, after all, who deeply identifies with every human experience and actually talks about it in baffling ways. When Saul of Tarsus, uh, who's at the white-hot burning center of this terrorist movement, which is hunting down and killing Jesus' followers, he has this vision of Jesus that knocks him off of his horse, literally. And what do we hear Jesus say in this vision? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Me? Right? I thought Saul was persecuting this religious minority made up of largely uneducated peasants and slaves. Persecuting Jesus? But this is the level of solidarity that Jesus has with the other. Now, unless you think this is like just a statement of tribe loyalty, like Jesus is like, I have their back, they're my people. Jesus shocks us all in taking it beyond our tribe. 
not only does he tell us to love our enemy, but he goes as far as to say, whenever you feed the hungry, whenever you clothe the naked or visit the prisoner, you've done so to me. And this, we have Jesus after his resurrection that is mistaken for a gardener, mistaken for a ghost, a fellow pilgrim, or even a fisherman by the beach. And he's mistaken until the eyes of the disciples are finally opened. And what do they see? They see that they were actually brushing up against the divine in this encounter with the stranger. This is great news for Mother's Day. All the women who grew up hearing about God talked about basically as two bros and a bird, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can feel the spark of the sacred as their experience is referenced as a metaphor, as a filter, and as a lens to understand God. Jesus says he's like a mother here. But the Bible has this fascinating string of feminine metaphors that expand our understanding of who God is. Now, I think we have to be careful here. All language about God is provisional. I mean, every name, every title, everything we would say about God, it conceals as much as it reveals. And that's because God's beyond us. And so we could call God father or mother or shepherd or king or creator, but these are all titles and names that are rooted in our human experience and therefore they're limited. And that's okay. And it's why we need many of them. It's why we need multiple ways to understand and address God. And it's why we need to listen to the perspectives of all people, especially people whose experiences have not been centered and have not been normalized and have not been traditionally heard. We are made in God's image. And we don't know God until we listen to the breadth of that image. Right? Genesis is careful to point out that we were created in God's image, male and female. We were created, which is basically to say, No gender can fully encompass God. But we've been so comfortable imagining God as male and often so uncomfortable. And I've seen visceral disgust reactions from people when we imagine God as female. Now, interestingly enough, Christ as mother is a theme that pops up over church history, especially in the medieval period. I mean, here we see Christ depicted as one who gives birth, as one who bleeds and feeds and nurtures and nourishes. Even the early church interpreted the wound in Christ's side as this feminine metaphor, uh, a metaphor of blood and water, which sort of points us to the birthing process, and as well uh, as points us to the nourishing love of mothers to feed us. I mean, the art gets super weird uh, with this nourishment coming from Christ's side into the mouths of the faithful. It's extremely gross, yes, but we can't miss the point. And this is the point I'm trying to make that the feminine metaphor for God reveals something powerful to us that we miss if we only use masculine images and metaphors and pronouns. So thank you to the moms who show us God, right? You show the divine to us through your unique social location, through your bleeding and feeding and nurturing and protecting and sacrifice, right? We who are not mothers, we know God better through you, and through your experiences. Now, I had hoped to make this point and leave it there, but unfortunately, I can't. Right? In light of this week's unfolding news about the killing of Ahmad Arbery, 
I feel compelled to sort of draw out the lament and also make a link to this point which we've already established about the power of social location in knowing God. Jesus, in our text, looks over this city and is pricked to the heart. He's heard the stories and he's lived the story of pain, of threat, of fear, of violence. And he faces this society who, quote, kills and stones, and he laments. Now, I read Jesus here as angry and having a protective instinct, not least because of that mother hen imagery, but also in the plea. Jesus has in mind all of those who are threatened, all those who are vulnerable, all those who aren't seen or heard or dignified or respected. He feels that pain. He laments that those responsible for that pain will not listen. Now, I see this as a comfort to the experience of black Americans now who feel much the same way. Underheard, underprotected, underrespected, and outright degraded and insulted as a consistent theme. Even today, so many years after the civil rights movement. And it's this sickness that Jesus laments, which is the same sickness which is present in our national story. Right? The seed, the root, the origin of our violence to indigenous people and to African slaves, it continues to haunt us because we've not fully healed or resolved or reconciled what went wrong there. Right? The fruit of that violence remains and it lingers. And we ask, who's responsible? We might, like Cain in the story of Genesis, say, am I my brother's keeper? And after all, every white brother and sister I know is horrified by what they saw in the video this week. They're tempted to think, like, that isn't me. I'd never do anything like that. And I think that's wrong. And in doing so, we often exempt ourselves from responsibility. We're tempted to be sad and then to exercise our privilege, which is made clear through our choice to wear the burden or not to engage the pain or not, to empathize or not, to speak out or not speak out, to ask hard questions of society and ourselves or not. And it's that choice to engage or not at a moment like this that's critical to see. Our black brothers and sisters don't have this choice. I mean, I've heard so many this week uh, of my friends uh, tell me what they've seen over and over again, how these public tragedies prick a wound in them a wound of their own experience of being black in America. And as I hear story after story of memories that come up in the face of this, or rage or sadness or despair, I feel a tremendous responsibility to listen, to learn, and to be an ally who doesn't just listen, but takes action. Not to hide behind the, I don't have a racist bone in my body sort of mentality, but to take responsibility that we all carry biases, biases that we may not see and our black brothers and sisters can help us see. We can't feel better behind the phrase, I'd never do that, when we need to take responsibility for speaking against this stuff, to call our congresspeople and our pastors and our executives and to say, we will not tolerate or support this injustice and we must demand better, better ways of imagining race, better laws, better policies, better listening, better efforts at healing and making amends, right? Not just to feel better because I'm not like those guys in the truck, 
but to feel responsible and to ask, how can we make this right? And so Jesus' lament is poignant this week. This powerful mothering of God that we see here combines with a powerful and much-needed lament that speaks the truth about injustice and about violence. And it translates into a needed and hopeful challenge right now. May we hear that mothering voice of Christ calling out to us in this moment, calling out our violence and our deafness, and may we not so easily set aside that call or exempt ourselves from it, but may we be softened, broken, and invited by it to change in a way that feels like good news for our world. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.